0: ctsnet friends my name is joel dunning and welcome to another ctsnet podcast this is an absolutely packed edition and have i got a treat for you if you're a cardiac surgeon that does aortic valves or mitral valves we've got two absolutely fabulous webinars bespoke for ctsnet everything you wanted to know one mitral with cords second one how to get the best longevity out of your biological valves stellar speakers absolutely fantastic that's not all Uh, we've also got uh, three fabulous papers redo TAVA we've got uh, some consensus on thoracic surgery how to train it and a really interesting combined paper between thoracics and cardiac how to do pectus surgery in people having cardiac surgery so don't go away Uh, let's get into it three fantastic papers for you to look at on our JAMS section this week. Look out for it in your email inboxes or go look at our website. So the first one we've got for you is a really interesting paper by Raj Makar. Um, he's the Associate Director of Interventional Technologies at the Smith Heart Institute, Cedars-Siniai, and, uh, and he did this presentation at the late-breaking clinical trials presentation of EuroPCR. Um, it was an analysis of the absolutely amazing, fantastic and huge uh, STS and ACC trials transcatheter valve registry. There are 348,000 patients on that registry of patients having TAVA and out of that they uh, dug out 1,216 patients who had a redo TAVA and had a look to see how they got on. Uh, well, lots of interesting things in this paper. First one, uh, the average time to redo was 26 months. So yeah, pretty interesting. It probably won't be structural valve deterioration. but Maybe it was technical uh, uh, issues or whatever, So, but, uh, but that was interesting. Uh, the other interesting thing, the average age was 79. You know, that's pretty interesting. So half of these at least are patients in their 80s. Uh, but coming to the results, the most interesting things was highlight it's not high risk to have a redo TAVA than have a first TAVA. Well I was quite surprised by this really but uh, they're a bit sicker according to the STS scores, uh, eight versus five, but in hospital outcomes uh, were similar, 3.4% versus 2.3%, survival, stroke was the same, 30-day outcomes, uh, survival uh, was uh, was similar. 4.8 mortality versus 4.1 stroke, two percent at 30 days and one year, um, just the same as well. The rates of death, 17 percent in each group, exactly the same. Um, so if you have a look at the sort of reintervention rate, a um, little bit more in the redos, because they had another redo, but uh, actually it was really really rare, at 0.6 percent of those 1,200 patients. So you really are talking tiny tiny amounts. So it's successful doing a redo TAVA really Um, and uh, and they did very honestly say the uh, median gradient was a tiny bit higher in the redo group at 14 versus 11 but I don't think that's clinically important and actually you know be totally expected you are putting a a valve in another valve so really interesting very positive Uh, and uh, and in this world where people are getting younger and younger uh, and we're actually planning for second uh, TAVA's it does provide some very good real-world real assurance that uh, redo Taver is kind of okay great job uh, really nice paper go check it out. Uh, The second one for you is in thoracics. Uh, It's quite interesting, this one. It's by the fabulous René Pettersen's team. Uh, And uh, the title is Consensus on the Technical Procedures that We Could Use for Simulation-Based Training in Thoracic Surgery. So what's all this about? So uh, this was done by uh, Timim Haidari. Timim Haidari is a fabulous guy. I was actually his PhD supervisor. He's originally from Afghanistan, and he is such a hard worker. And this paper, published this month in the European Journal of uh, Cardiothoracic Surgery uh, is part of his PhD thesis and he did four great papers and in this one he asked a wide range of leaders in thoracic surgery what should they go out and get simulation software for basically um, and And the top five were, and probably not too surprising, first one was VATS lobectomy, then VATS segmentectomy. Interestingly, what came third was VATS mediastinal lymph node dissection, because, you know, to me, that's part of a lobectomy, but actually a lot of the simulation programs do not do the lymph nodes. And, uh, and I like the phrase that uh, thoracic surgery is a lymphadenectomy with a lobectomy banged on at the end. I actually think it's more important than lobectomy to get technically right. So it's interesting that actually uh, a lot of simulation software does not include it. And that came third. Uh, fourth came doing some bronchoscopy by simulation and fourth and fifth were robotic port placement and then docking. Now, what else has this fabulous group done with this data? Well, they've gone to a simulation software company, they've created a brilliant simulator, and then they got a load of junior, middle grade, and senior people to do five different lobectomies. This simulator does every single lobe, left, upper, left, lower, right, upper, middle, and lower. So, so they each did three lobes, uh, and then they looked at the metrics and they looked at how they could best create a scoring system to see if they could tell between the beginners, the intermediate, and, and the seniors. And they actually had some computer based metrics uh, and some surgeon expert watching the video metrics and then some hybrids. And actually, this is the future. You know, this is the future of thoracic surgery for sure every single one of your operations being metriced so that you can learn how to be a better surgeon. And actually, I think this could be uh, the future in the medium term for all surgery, cardiac, thoracic, congenital, pediatric, everything. Have a video camera above your head, uh, automated AI uh, assessment of your operation. Not to blame, not to point fingers, but to get in so early that if you're not quite hitting the scores that other people are, go watch their videos, go get a mentor. Uh, So René is one of the leaders in the world of this with his group. So well done to Tamim to Haidari, uh, to Lars Conger, to, to all the people in, in Copenhagen and check out that paper. Well done. The third paper we've got for you is, uh, I just love this because it is for both of you, for cardiac surgeons and thoracic surgeons. so And for paediatric surgeons, now you come to think of it. Um, so this is a brilliant, uh, brilliant publication by Dawn Jarolewski uh, in the Mayo Clinic at Florida and her team. And it is Pectus Excavatum in patients who are also having cardiac surgery or have also had cardiac surgery. So it's a meta-analysis of the world literature. And funnily enough, uh, on our UK Thoracic Surgeon WhatsApp group, uh, we were asking this exact question. Somebody said, what do you think? Somebody's having a heart op and they've got a, a, a Haller index of five. What am I going to do? Well, I just got to send this paper over to them because Dawn has answered everything. So it's really, really good meta-analysis. Um, first of all, it lays out the evidence for pector surgery, which is really good, and the superiority of nurse in most situations. And then it goes through two situations. I haven't really considered this as well. Um, the first situation is people who have in the past have cardiac surgery and then need something done to their chest and the second group is doing it at the same time so in that group um people who have had in the past some cardiac surgery so perhaps pediatric surgery congenital surgery uh fans remember you know very high incidence of pectus um they did a meta-analysis and uh, and they also used the chest wall international group the world's experts on pectus surgery pediatric uh, surgeons uh thoracic surgery, surgeons altogether. And they found 75 cases of patients just like this in 14 centres. The median age was only nine and a half years old, very young. uh, And it was an average six years after heart surgery. So mainly paediatric cases. Now, the really shocking thing was that five patients needed uh, emergency surgery to fix a hole in the heart. That's five out of 75. So, you know, that's 7% of these operations and two needed a bypass machine. So the conclusion of Dawn Jowleski, if you've had previous heart surgery and you're trying to put an US bar in or even doing a ravage, um, is do a stenotomy, treat it like a redo and then undermine both sternal edges and make sure you've got space between the sternum and the heart. Don't just try and use a thoracoscope and see if you can burrow your way uh, between the back of the sternum and the heart because you will succeed in over 90% of the time. But in about 7% of the time, it's going to get stuck sticky. And that was really interesting because I actually hadn't considered how dangerous it might be. I probably would have had a go uh, if it hadn't been for this paper. Then the second group they considered uh, was people having pector surgery at the same time as cardiac surgery. And they had some really interesting considerations that I hadn't thought about. First of all, they talked about Ravitch versus NUS, Ravitch causing more bleeding than NUS. So NUS maybe being a better idea. But they considered two things I hadn't thought of. Firstly, they have published a paper with Joshua Stern. Uh, and their same group in 2020 saying that cardiac massage in a patient with a NUSBAR, they simulated it in a mannequin, it takes a three times more pressure uh, to create the same five centimeters of compressions. And actually, in a lot of cases, you cannot actually generate five centimeters of depth compression, especially with three bars. So actually, they say CPR is really difficult if you've got a NUSBAR in. I didn't know that at all. And then the second thing they said is if you're getting to the end of your cardiac surgery operation and you're really worried about your um, hemostasis, Uh, maybe they're bleeding a little bit or they're unstable in any way, then they recommend just don't do the NUS procedure. Wait 24 to 72 hours, wait till it's all settled down, then go and do it. Uh, And that was quite interesting really. I thought that's crazy. And then I thought, wait a second, that isn't crazy at all. That's a pretty good idea. Um, These are generally fit people. It's really safe. You've been in the chest, you've You've opened everything up. It's a first-time operation mainly. Um, the risk is if you have to rush it back into that chest with two nuts bars or three nuts bars. Fixed across this—that's going to cause a lot of trouble. You know they're really difficult to cut across with, with even the biggest cutters. So great job, really interesting, and maybe it'll happen twice in your career, three times in your career. But when, when it does happen, and you've got someone with severe pectus needing cardiac surgery, uh, just go see that paper. Oh, just one other thing—they did mention someone who had a heart transplant, uh, and then they tried to close the chest, and that heart started failing. And go figure, the Haller index was seven uh, in Dawn's unit, and so they then. Did a pectus to try and get them off the table and everything was fine they actually concluded they wondered whether the the heart failure was not due to the heart but due to the pectus so really really interesting so those are our free jans uh things for this week go check them out i think they're really fascinating and now i'll hand over to a message from ctsnet Submissions are now open for CTSNet's annual Innovation Video Competition. The competition rewards surgeons at the cutting edge of cardiothoracic surgery with a $1,000 cash prize, a prominent feature on CTSNet, and an exclusive interview with the judges. Submit your videos showcasing creative solutions, novel surgical approaches, and technological advances in CT surgery by August 31, 2023 for a chance to win. For more information, visit ctsnet.org slash innovation video competition. Well, we have some absolutely uh, videos for you uh, this week. So as I said at the start, if you're a cardiac surgeon, if you're interested in aortic valves, if you're interested in mitral valves, you've got two beauty webinars uh, coming up. But first I'll just mention the third submission we've got on the CTSnet on from the front page uh, this week. Uh, It's a really sweet little nice video. Uh, It's by Rachel uh, Wiley, University of California, San Francisco. She's a medical student. She's a medical student to Jeffrey Velotta from Kaiser Permanente and she's done an absolutely lovely job of uh, of just uh, doing a good video, three and a half minutes, nice and quick, very to the point of someone having VATS resection of a posterior mediastinal cyst. So to a lot of us, this would be fairly routine, but she makes it sound so interesting. She names all the anatomy perfectly. She labels it up. She tells the importance of getting it off the esophagus, off the lung, all the structures and uh, just bursting with enthusiasm. And the reason we picked this one is because I think this is absolutely great. I love getting medical students to edit up my videos. They learn so much by watching it back, meticulously cutting it down, looking up the anatomy. And you know what? We at CTSnet are going to create a new system whereby these videos can then also be submitted to a journal. Joe Chickwi has also already been very enthusiastic about this. The European Journal has been enthusiastic and we're going to approach the JTCBS. So hopefully this is gonna be a great way for your medical students to get really good exposure to good learning, a nice post on CTSnet and maybe their first or second publication. So well done, Rachel Wiley, uh, and well done, Geoffrey Falotta, for, for encouraging her to submit a video to CTSnet. So now moving on to the two absolutely fabulous one-hour webinars that we've got for you this week. The first one is hosted by Steve Bolling, who needs absolutely no introduction from the University of Michigan. Um, he's the compere, and he's brought in Joe Chiqui, uh, editor-in-chief of the ATS and from Cedars-Sinai. Tom Wynn, who's uh, absolutely just a fantastic surgeon, University of California. And he brought along Teresa Watt from his own uh, institution and Neil Dougal, who's an imaging uh, cardiologist. So really interesting group. He starts with some interactivity. He posts up a, a survey of, of with what frequency do you use cords uh, when you do an anterior leaflet repair? And what frequency do you use chords with a posterior leaflet repair? <laughs> He then starts an interesting discussion with Tom Wynn where his answer is always and always to both those questions uh, and Joe Chiqui, which is not always, uh, and uh, and then a really good interactive session and beautiful videos, uh, good interesting uh, insights from the imaging as well. And you know I even learnt a lot from this and I'm sure we all will too. So uh, really good job, fantastic, one hour. So sit back, put it on your television and watch it from start to finish. The second uh, really fantastic one-hour webinar we've got for you uh, is an Edwards Sciences webinar uh, all about advances in tissue valve technology and why it matters and and there's nobody better uh, they got than Joe Bavaria ex president of the STS superhero of the aortic valve and all aortic surgery um, he takes us through this with Michael Borger uh, the director of the Leipzig Heart Center uh, and Thomas Beaver and uh, and together they do a brilliant job really interesting showing the history and chronology of how they how we preserve um, bovine tissue to make it last as long as possible and to get rid of of the calcium in it so that it lasts and uh, uh, all the way to the very latest technology which is called Resilia technology which is great. He also uh, gets uh, to, to uh, discuss uh, the brand new commence aortic trial all about the seven-year longevity uh, of a valve using this technology and the the uh, freedom from reinterventions like ninety eight percent—it's off the scale. It's absolutely fantastic, which is again, I think, why we use so many biological valves. I always thought when, uh, when Tavi Tava came in so much, the, the reaction of us would be, well, you know, we can still do mechanical valves. We can get people through. And I always had a dream that we could ditch warfarin for, 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 for a NOAC, like a pixaban, which never quite happened, did it? But actually, in fact, we all realise that biological valves are really long-lived these days. They're fantastic. And this webinar supports that. So uh, check it out. Uh, well done to everybody involved with that. And I thought it was a really fantastic one-hour bespoke session uh, in conjunction with CTSnet. So that's the content we have for you this week, but I'd like to tell you about some absolutely wonderful upcoming events. So the STS uh, is holding its second specific coronary conference. Uh, It's uh, being from the 3rd to the 4th, uh, so it's just next weekend. It's in Miami, uh, so uh, why not take a look? It's it's an in-person only conference. So I hope uh, you've registered already. It's probably still okay. Um, Prices vary from $200 to $800. You've missed your early birds, so where you could could get quite a lot off. But it's a really, really good uh, program. Uh, They've got uh, Joe Sabic talking about how he does his distal anastomoses. We've got uh, David Gilner uh, from Ottawa, who's talking about sequential anastomosis. Fabulous Stephen Freems, who's going to tell you how to get the best vein graft. Uh, we've got metrics from Joe Sabic. So loads and loads to learn uh, about how to do CABG at that conference. We have got to mention the 31st uh, European Conference uh, on Thoracic Surgery, the ESTS, is coming. It's uh, between the 4th and the 6th uh, of June and it's in Milan. So I'm pretty sure this is the world's biggest Pure Thoracic Surgery Conference for Lung Surgery. Um, it's huge, and, uh, and it's a real pleasure to see it in full fettle, uh, pure COVID-free, in-person, talking about absolutely everything. I know there's going to be big showings from Intuitive, there's going to be a massive showing from Versus and other platforms. So, so I think this is going to be really interesting to see all the robotic platforms coming uh, out. Also, robotic bronchoscopic platforms. So there's going to be monot, there's going to be Ion, all sorts of things showcased there. So uh, look out for our podcast over the next few weeks. We'll try and profile what we see uh, at the ESTS and try and get there if you can. Uh, It's in Milan and it's next week. And so that's about it uh, for this week. Thank you for making it all the way to near the end of this podcast. Just two more things to mention. I always like to catch up with Where's Diego? Diego, the roving thoracic surgeon traveling the world to spread the word of minimally invasive surgery. He is actually spending his second week in the Shanghai Pulmonary Hospital um, because he does a course there being joined by surgeons from all over the world. And this week, he uh, announced the publication of the wonderful segmentectomy for early stage lung cancer. He actually tells us that he he learned how to do segmentectomy from this book. And Zhijian Lu has now published this online by Springer in English. Um, I've got this book. It is seriously detailed. It's unbelievable. I think I can understand about half of it. But just to show how great Diego is and how much he, is, he understands it, he did a live link-up doing an S3C sub subsegmentectomy. Uh, so, he, you know, taking a whole segment is too much uh, for the best surgeons in the world. And he took uh, the S3C. Totally fantastic. But actually, it made a lot of sense. And uh, when you paired it up with the pictures in this book, You know, it really was an impressive operation. So well done, uh, that group, uh, and tune in next week to see where they are. And finally, I would like to give an honourable mention to Professor Tristan Yan. Tristan Yan uh, is an Australian professor of cardiothoracic surgery. He is an absolute innovator and star in his field. Um, He actually trained in Edinburgh with Bill Walker uh, 10 years ago to learn vatslobectomy. Uh, he then went straight across to Liverpool to learn aortic surgery with Ung-U and then he went over to Australia where he just ripped up the copybook and and just created an amazing field of minimally invasive cardiac and thoracic surgery. He's now virtually fully robotic. Um, we're going to start profiling a load of his videos. Um, he's just sent us a, t- a total... Um, robotic aortic valve replacement. He has got a mini arch replacement. I personally went over there and watched him do a mini hemi arch with a four centimeter incision just in the manubrium. It was five hours and the woman who was 79 years old woke up straight away on the table after the operation. No bleeding, phenomenal. This guy is absolutely great. So check out CTSnet over the coming weeks. We're going to be profiling uh, some of his videos each week. He's an aortic master, he's a thoracic surgeon, master and i forgot to mention he created the annals of chiropractic surgery he's been editor-in-chief for a decade and the impact factor is now 4.6 so well done to tristan yang your honorable mention so thanks for getting to the end uh, and uh, please do tune in next week where we'll do another cts net podcast